1: Children's ability to learn languages is astonishing and has led many parents to push their children toward being multilingual. Whether it's because it's part of their heritage or just because they want to give their kids a head start on an increasingly global marketplace, many parents are dealing with the issues of teaching their kids multiple languages every day. I'm Sarah Creel, an associate professor at the University of California at San Diego, and this is Parent Savers, episode 79. Faster than a speeding toddler. Sit still for just a minute. Can soothe boo boos with a gentle kiss. Did you get
2: down from there?
1: Able to clean poopy bottoms in a single swipe. Oh,
2: what did you eat?
1: Turning frazzled mommies and daddies into procreators of peace and harmony. Ah, quit touching me. It's Parent Savers, empowering new parents everywhere. Welcome, everybody, to
3: Parent Savers, broadcasting from the Birth Education Center of San Diego. Parent Savers is your weekly online, on-the-go support group for parents of newborns, infants, and toddlers. I'm your host, John O'Reill. Thanks again to all of you for being loyal listeners and for checking us out each week. We love hearing from you on our Facebook page and our Twitter accounts whenever we interact with you, especially on our taping Saturdays uh, where you can be a virtual panelist. So come join the conversation. Follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. And we'll tweet out about great topics like we're having today. You can also join the Parent Savers Club. Our members get access to uh, bonus content after each new show plus special giveaways. And as you know, if you download the free Parent Savers app on the Android and iTunes Marketplace, you will get notified as soon as a new podcast is available, usually on Wednesdays. Uh, So thanks for joining us. Um, For today's topic, we've got a pretty full studio of myself and producer Aaron and some panelists as well. So we'll go around the room so you guys know who the voices are that you are listening to and what our kids' situation is. So we'll go around the room and introduce ourselves. My name's John, or I'm your host. And I have three boys, a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old. Quinner, Whitaker, and Zeiler, and we only speak one language. Um,
2: the language of love. <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's right, it's funny. Um, but Christina is... Uh, her mom speaks Spanish, and everyone thinks she speaks multiple languages, but she doesn't. So, anyway, Aaron.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, my name is Aaron Estevas, and I am the producer. I'm also known as OG Mamacita. I have one boy who is just about to turn two. And in our home, uh, yeah, we... I speak to him in French, English, and Spanish. And we also sign. So it's kind of chaotic at times.
3: Yeah, I guess that's true. I forgot about sign language. Yeah. So maybe we are. We could talk about that a little bit.
2: Yeah, I'm Sunny Galt and I am the owner of New Mommy Media, which produces Parent Savers, Preggy Pals, the Boob Group, and Twin Talks. And I've got two little boys at home, Sayer and Urban. Sayer is my oldest, he's three, Urban's about eighteen months, and I'm pregnant with twin identical girls due in December. And one language in our house, but we're very upset about that because we live in San Diego. I feel like they should be bilingual, at least in Spanish. I feel like a bad parent.
3: Maybe surfer language. <laughs>
0: yeah, right?
3: That's
2: what I want. Dude.
0: Dude. 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 Margarita. Yes, Margarita Salazar. I'm an attorney by trade and a mommy full-time. I have twin boys. They're three and a half years old, and we mostly speak English. Um, we were told that autistic children should be focused on one language oh, and it's okay. very difficult for them to pick up two. I disagree with that little theory because my mm-hmm. kids actually know a little bit of Spanish. We, we, we speak fluently, fluent Spanish in our home mm-hmm. uh, with my parents who are mostly uh, primary Spanish speaking and um, my kids also do some signing mm-hmm. but it's not American sign, sign Language nor is it any other I think recognized sign language. I think it's a specific where they use just sort of um terms for specific things that my children want to get so it's not a full language mm-hmm. it's more of a, a tool so they'll use to g- uh, give more you know yeah. s- very specific right, right. symbols but um there's a little bit of signing
1: not probably to the extent at, at yeah. the estevez house <laughs> are these, <laughs> well, are these signs that they invented or signs that they were taught
0: i think they're well no they didn't invent although they do other things that they've invented <laughs> 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 very creative these two um no they're they're actually from their uh their their program, they have, they have an uh, at-home, okay. yeah. uh, autism special ed program, right. and, uh, they picked up on some language that they followed through at school, so. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, we'll talk about that, I think, a little bit more yeah. as we get in. Bestin mm. joins us as well.
5: Uh, my name is Bestin Barnett, I'm a furniture maker, and, um, I guess primary caregiver of a nine-year-old. He, uh, is named Django, um, he speaks both Spanish and English quite fluently, um, my wife, Andrea, born in Mexico, uh. Speaks to him only in Spanish, or at least that was originally our rule, though mm-hmm. the rules have long since gone. Uh, I guess all of our hard work is done at this point with a nine year old. It's sort of all worked. Uh, so, you're uh, done. So, yeah, yeah, I'm, sw- I'm here for the post mortem, I guess. But, um, you survive. Yeah, we survive. And then Sarah is our expert.
1: Hi, uh, I'm Sarah Creel. I'm Ooh, I'm 36, just turned 36. Uh, I'm a professor at UC San Diego. Um, I have currently have zero children, although I do have one cat. Yay! Uh,
3: hey. is, is the cat multilingual?
1: Uh, of course, she, she speaks, speaks in tongues. <laughs> no, she's she speaks a,
2: perfectly. Oh, Sunny is on fire!
3: Sunny's on fire over here. Are you tired? What's going on? I think I'm
2: slab <laughs> out of
4: here. All right
3: Before we jump into um, today's topic, though, we're actually going to do a news headline today, and from time to time here on Parent Savers, we talk about an article that uh, we've seen in the news or that maybe our listeners have seen and posted to our Facebook page, and we kind of give you our thoughts about it, and usually they're sort of funny, sometimes they're shocking. Um, So today's headline, and I'll read it for everyone here in the studio, is that Simon Cowell, and if you guys don't know him, he is... uh, a, t- a television personality, he was on American Idol and now The X Factor, um, big in the UK and the US. Um, and he is annu- his girlfriend is pregnant, and he's announced that when his baby is born, he doesn't want to watch. He doesn't want any part of it. Um, he says he'll be as close by um, as he can, um, but he's not interested in getting up close and personal with his girlfriend when she delivers the first child together. And here's what he said. I know it sounds awful, but it's a little like you don't want to go into the restaurant while they're making your dinner don't want to go back into the kitchen. I just think there's certain things that you shouldn't see and this is one of them. I'll be very close by, but no, I have no interest in being there. So
2: he's he's not gonna be like in the delivery room is what he's saying.
3: He doesn't want to see the act of the birth happening.
2: Right. Okay. So it's not that he's not gonna be there for his child overall, it's that he's yeah, just yeah. the birthing process. Yeah okay, he's not it.
3: saying like right, yeah, right. Right. but he he doesn't want to um see how the sausage is made as it were.
2: <laughs> <laughs> he contributed to the sausage yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: no, exactly I mean, I think that's
6: you, Wait <laughs> He provided this It's kind of sausage. Sarah
1: But I think I that's one Sarah. of those <laughs>
3: Interesting things that um, You know, I hear dads Sometimes too That'll brag like Oh, I've only changed one diaper I was reading about a sports athlete That said something like that And it's just It's just surprising That there are You know, I think that we've evolved A little bit in this day and age That there's now this kind of expectation That this viewpoint is shocking mm-hmm. Whereas, you know maybe when I was born or maybe when Aaron was born <laughs> oh <laughs> no she's only a couple years old oh gee um, is uh, you know dads weren't really it, it would be it would have been odd for a dad to be in the delivery room and be a part of it and now he comes out with this and it's a shock and it's a sh- it's a shocking and surprising standpoint is it,
2: it shocking are you really shocked yeah I was just yeah. gonna say are you really shocked that Simon Cal said that though I I don't think I'm shocked because it's Simon,
0: one, but I I think anything coming out of his mouth would be sort of, you know, it it just, it's par for the course. Right. Right. You've heard him as a judge. (laughs) I mean, he said some pretty harsh (laughs) things to some of the contestants, so I think. I think
3: I'm just so surrounded, and maybe it's through Parent Savers or maybe through the community that I'm in, that. I'm surrounded by a lot of hands-on dads that sure. couldn't imagine not being in the room to be there with their wife if they had the chance. I, I, I'm not. But, but at also
4: all. keep in mind no? Th- no. that Simon Cowell is is British, and I, I'm not trying to generalize or, or sound pejorative in any way. When but I let
3: I me generalize this. and be pejorative. <laughs> <laughs> no,
4: no, no, no. But it's just that it, it you know he comes from a, a particular uh, his generation, like you were talking about generational yeah. differences, is he comes from a very kind of offhand off hands off culture. Right. You know, so actually I kind of commend him for coming forward and saying that because it is controversial because here, like you said, there are so many hands on dads. Yeah. But again, I think it's culturally specific. I think it's American and I and particularly I think it's kind of like the crunchy dads are yeah, more might be right. yeah hands on.
0: I mean I'll be very honest and if I get some emails I'll, I'll I I totally <laughs> understand but I didn't want to see my own
4: Yeah, neither did I. <laughs> delivery I didn't want to of my see children. Down south. Well, no, it's
0: not not so much the down south part. I mean I I had a C-section and you know I I was cut open in a very vivid way yeah. th- th- to be sort of, yeah. I guess, vivid. Some of the parents who have gone through that experience. It's not pretty. It isn't pretty. Yeah. And, uh, in fact, throughout the entire procedure, I was nauseous. And uh, something I've shared with very few people, when the doctor came to hand me my child, one of the, the first baby that came out, mm-hmm. I could not touch him i couldn't look at him because i wasn't i was i felt like i was going to vomit so i said no please don't bring me my baby because i'm going to throw up i mean that that the, as the nurses um, she's yeah, yeah oh yeah, yeah. She, they were bringing me the baby and i was physically sick um, so it, it was i totally get Simon, so you totally mr cow i understand
3: think it's a good idea <laughs>
0: <laughs> no if you know you're queasy and he knows at least yeah. i had no idea i mean i was under the impression that i was going to be <laughs> Give me my baby. Right. Oh, no. Just take him away. <laughs> I got. I was so concerned about throwing up on my child. See, chart.
4: that's a really good point because she's saying that he's coming from a, a stance of, you know, like... He's going to get sick. He's afraid he's going to pass out or faint, you know. So he's trying to save face in that way as opposed to, I am man. I shan't be bothered. Uh, I think you guys are giving Simon Cowell a lot of credit
2: (laughs) (laughs) right now. I I think he just didn't want to get his hands dirty and, you know. He'd rather
4: be smoking a cigar. He wears white T-shirts and he
2: could get dirty. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Nice. All right.
3: Thanks. And we'll put a link up to this one on our site and on the episode page. Thanks, everyone, for sticking with us through the news headline. Today's topic um, is teaching your kids multiple languages. It's one that I know a lot of families um, face, especially um, if they were raised speaking multiple languages. But there's even families that uh, don't speak multiple languages that are introducing their kids to them as well. So today we're talking with Sarah Creel, an associate professor of cognitive science at the University of California, San Diego. So thanks for joining us, Sarah.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
3: So are babies equipped to handle multiple languages at once? Or I mean, how many? What's their capacity?
1: (laughs) Definitely. um, Probably trying to learn six languages at once would be a bit much uh, (laughs) because we know that there's only so much time in the day, and you do need a certain amount of exposure to a language to be able to learn it. Uh, however, if if you look across the world, more than half of the world's population speaks at least two languages on a regular basis, and so thinking that bilingualism is some sort of unusual thing is that that's really not the case. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so definitely, um, and, and and you might argue, in fact, that infants are better than anyone else at uh, learning multiple languages.
3: Right. I mean, in a sense, they speak. None or they speak a lot of different languages because they come out because they're not wired to speak anything specifically, right, right. Right. And so they're making sense of the whole world, and it's all kind of either one and the same, depending on how you look at it, or they're speaking a little bit of everything as they're communicating.
1: Yeah, so there's evidence that very early in life, infants are able to distinguish any pair of speech sounds that you can find in any language across the world, and that gradually they narrow down to just distinguishing the speech sounds in their own language. And there, there are some exceptions to that, but by and large, it does seem like they're quite good at distinguishing speech sounds for, for any language, so they're pretty much equipped to, to learn any language or set of languages.
3: That's, I mean... I mean, I guess it's evolutionary, right, that they're going to need to be able to adapt like that? I mean, what is it about their brains? I mean, its I guess it's survival, right, that they need to...
1: Well, certainly it's survival. Um, and, and there's we have a lot of questions about how language evolved in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and it may be that, that the things that allow human beings to learn languages aren't aren't specific to a particular language. So you need right. to have some flexibility. Even as adults, people don't think about this a lot, but as adults we learn tons and tons of new words. I mean iPhone twerk. Uh, <laughs> 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 Sorry about that last laugh. right. week. <laughs> um, <laughs> words I wish I hadn't learned. Uh, but so we, we do need to be flexible and to be able to incorporate new information uh, into our into our language knowledge. And so for infants, um, they certainly wouldn't want to be too specialized uh, to one particular language. Right. And uh, yeah. can I can I ask you yes, a question, Sarah?
0: When you talk. About languages, are you referring to the sounds? Or or does that also include, um,
1: for instance, accents? Right, so, so that's a really good question. Yeah. So... Um, Different accents. So so you can have multiple different kinds of accents in the same language, even within the same country. So I actually grew up in South Carolina and um <laughs> and that's a, a very different accent than you find in California and um and then you can have accents due to so if someone is a native speaker of Spanish and they're speaking English, they're gonna sound a little different right. than an American uh, English speaker if I speak Spanish I'm definitely going to have a funny accent sure so just
0: like si- so. Simon Cowell's accent versus our accent versus an Australian's right. it's right. all English but right well, yeah. Kids
4: recognize it, like she's saying because my um, niece and nephew their father is actually British he said you know mommy and daddy speak differently mommy says tomato and daddy says tomato uh,
0: <laughs> perfect oh. that's funny
5: that was Irving Berlin, right?
0: <laughs>
5: <laughs> I got to say that I think when I first realized our sort of experimentation on my son was working, when I, and this is very early on, uh, when I realized that he said no differently to me and to Andy, you know, he said no mm-hmm. to her, uh-huh. and I got a no. It was like clear he was yes. already getting it. He only knew one word, <laughs> but he already knew it in two languages, you know. Mm. Um, There's other reasons why it's not exciting to hear no uh, (laughs) from a one-year-old, but in that regard, it was good. Yeah. Are there languages that
3: it's easier for babies to learn and that are harder? Or are they, since they're so adaptable, is it all kind of the same?
1: It it really is all kind of the same. So any language is going to have... you know, harder parts and easier parts. But mm-hmm. in terms of what, if you look across the world's languages at how uh, infants acquire those languages, the basic patterns look pretty similar. So it doesn't yeah. seem like there's really a language that's harder versus easier. Uh, if you want to talk about reading acquisition, so once you get to the age where kids are trying to learn to map their speech on representations onto text, um, that's a different kettle of fish. Um, right. English is actually has, let me just say, messed up orthography. Yes. <laughs> Inconsistent right. spelling sound correspondence rules and so it turns out that English is a bit harder to learn to read in than other languages. So oh, um interesting. so maybe we shouldn't be teaching our kids English. <laughs> <laughs> so
4: I have a question in regard to phonics, mm-hmm. you know, the the phonetics of different languages. So I had read that a chi- uh, in while in utero, mm-hmm. the child that is exposed to his or her mother speaking multiple languages will have a wider spectrum of phonetic markers to to
1: to cling to as they speak themselves so is is that so um i'm not familiar with this study that you're talking about in particular but Mm -hmm. certainly we, we do know that uh in the last trimester that there some sound information gets in i i generally tell my students that it I haven't been there, uh, but my understanding <laughs> is that it, it's a, what's called a low pass filter. The uterine environment is a low pass filter so that kids can hear something that maybe sounds like Charlie Brown's teacher. So,
3: mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> wah, 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 wah. Mm-hmm. yeah,
1: so that, that kind of sound pattern. Uh, and so they do pick up on information about the rhythm of their language. And so I can imagine that okay. if a kid's hearing languages of different rhythmic classes, that that might uh, aid them later on.
4: Yeah, see, you're giving too much credence to what, to what I was reading because I don't think it was a study. <laughs> no, but it might thank be. you. <laughs> so
3: half the kids in the world, I think you said, are you know multilingual 100%. At least half the
1: people in the world, as yeah. far as individual children. The, okay. I'm, I'm not sure what the stats are. I know a joke about this one. Don't <laughs> <laughs> hear it real quick? <laughs> yes.
5: If you speak three languages, they call you trilingual, and you speak two, they call you bilingual. But if you only speak one, they call you American.
3: <laughs> 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 you heard that one before? It's sad but true. Sad <laughs> but true. <laughs> yep.
1: Nice.
3: Um, but I guess, so my question would be, though, is there some sort of brain advantage or a way that maybe, you know, those people who do speak multiple languages, those non-Americans, if you will, broadly speaking, um, are they advantaged somehow by being able to have, like is more, are they using more of their brain because they speak multiple languages? Uh,
1: so, so there is this myth that people only use 15% of their brains. That would be a big problem. It turns out that people that are missing large proportions of their brain brain um, that That does make life more difficult for them, so uh, it's it's quite a, a myth that people use only a small proportion of their brains however yes there so there is some uh, evidence that bilingualism gives you certain cognitive advantages um one really obvious advantage is you can talk to more people yeah, yeah, <laughs> sure. uh, but at a at a more cognitive level, it's thought to make you better at um at cognitive inhibitions, so you're better at doing things like you know, where you have a series of stoplights and one of them turns green, so you go, and then it suddenly turns red again and you have to stop. Uh, being able to stop yourself is a type of inhibition, so the the reasoning is that um, the reason that we think that bilingual children, adults, even older adults, are better is that because they have two languages they're constantly having to inhibit or sort of hold back one language when they're talking in the other, and vice versa. So they're used to inhibiting things all the time yeah
3: so i want to ask you guys do you feel like you're doing that stopping
1: well see this
4: that's perfect because when i said at the intro that it was chaos i fail at the inhibit inhibiting aspect because sometimes i open my mouth and i honestly do not know what language is going to come out, particularly if it's something that's like requires a a, a sudden response?
1: Probably some amount of language mixing goes on uh, in any household. There's a little bit of evidence that at least very early in language acquisition, their um, language mixing is associated, and this is one paper, but that that language mixing is associated with slightly slower vocabulary acquisition, but it's not clear that that continues throughout life. And certainly um, there are Numerous cases where it's uh, to the child's advantage to to hear both languages. So
4: okay, that's that number one. That's a re- relief and, <laughs> and and a kind of a um, uh, an explanation because I have noticed that there it, he does. Kind of seem slow on the uptick as far as like picking up vocabulary. But I have, I keep telling myself, if he's not speaking by 14, then I'll be concerned. <laughs> right. Can I, yeah. Can I
0: say, my experience is a little interesting. It's a little it's closer to what maybe your son is experiencing. Uh, my parents came to the United States speaking only Spanish. Mm-hmm. And I was raised, obviously, with my parents, but I went to American schools, and I also watched Saturday morning cartoons, so, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which were in English. So I learned, I think, English from my environment, but I also had Spanish from my home. And th- what I had to do was translate for my parents, which was a never-ending, frustrating experience for me. Um, you know, as a child, I'm 6, 5, whatever it is, and I go to the grocery store, to the restaurant, to a, just a business office, Anywhere. to the post office, back to my school. And, you know, my mother would say, tell them or ask them. X, and then I'd have to sort of repeat. So I think I learned the distinction between one language and another language very, very early, mm-hmm. um, not by any effort, just by just, the, you know. Well, the I know that in
4: my household, when I was growing up, my father was always adamant. You finish that sentence in the language you started it in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a good rule. Period. Mm-hmm. We had two sets of dictionaries, one in English and one in Spanish. Don't throw a word in from the other language. Go look it up. So, but now as he's much older, he's mixing in his languages, and I always tease him about it now, but I still can't stop myself from mixing languages with a Mm two-year-old.
3: Besson, what's your experience? Like, how, what was your, you talked about your experiment?
5: Uh, the experiment, well, (laughs) I, I, I think we, you know, because of the position we found ourselves in, you know, two parents, two languages, um, we kind of stuck with a conventional approach, um. There were periods in which, you know, certainly his English is better than his Spanish, um, though not markedly so, but there were periods in which he definitely favored English over Spanish. And um, one thing I found is that he had a like a preternatural sense for if someone understood English. Mm. Even if he'd never heard them speak a word of English, he could kind of tell and he'd know he could get away right. with English. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Um, that's kind of gone that might have been just a sort of shyness period more than anything to do with languages because now he's completely comfortable walking up to you and switching languages
0: your son's name is Django right yes was he also educated in I'm assuming he went to American schools no
5: he he went to he goes to a a public school but it's entirely bilingual half day English half day Spanish interesting I could talk about that at length but not everybody in the country has you know has the opportunity to go to a place like that my sense is that Uh, learning to understand languages, they're gonna get them. If you speak them around them, someone is speaking them around them, there's any reason for them to be paying attention to that person at all, they're gonna learn them. But learning to produce the languages is really a a separate Challenge mm-hmm. uh, that can be pretty tricky. And the only way you can guarantee that a kid will learn to produce the language is if there's some utility in it for them. Mm-hmm. Like there's some reason for them to do it. That's so true. They really can't get around it. They got to speak in this language or that language. Right.
3: All right. Let's take a quick break on the conversation uh, and then we'll do the second half of the show right after this.
7: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
3: Welcome back, everybody. Today we are talking about mul- teaching your kids multiple languages with Sarah Creel. Um, so Bestin was talking before the break about, um, you know, kind of the difference between processing language and producing it. Um, you know, how is it... Um, what have you found, like, with kids' brains and how they're able to do that?
1: Oh, wow. Uh, so a lot of the research that I'm mentioning here is, I can't take credit for it. It's, you know, a, yeah. long, a long tradition of people for decades who have been uh, researching this area. Uh, and, well, one of the things that they've found um, does concern this issue of um, producing a language versus understanding it. And so one thing that seems pretty important in getting kids to produce both of the languages that they're hearing is having fairly equal amounts of input so we know even for monolingual kids that the amount of input is really important and if you get more language input you're going to have a bigger vocabulary Mm -hmm. Uh, and so for kids being raised bilingual um, probably the same you know you want to give them lots of input in both languages and if one language gets way less of the attention or input sometimes kids will understand that language but not necessarily be willing to talk to you in that language, even though they understand it. So you might speak to them in Spanish and they might reply in English, even though. So they understood what you said, but they refused to uh, reply back in the language you spoke to them in. And
3: then do you Um, maybe reach a point where it's going to be even as they get older, harder and harder for them to produce it?
1: it, You know, that may be the case. um, If you can get them into a situation where they're just getting lots of exposure, um, that's probably the best way to combat that. But, you know, it's something that just interacts with you know, you're trying to bring up your kids and, you know, keep them off drugs and yeah. <laughs> every other... <you laughs> off the pole. <laughs> N- yeah, not off twerking. the stripper pole. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, all, all the other the things battle. that can go wrong. And yeah. so I think with a lot of parents that just, you know, there are priorities. You, you pick your battles. But if that's something that you have um, some control over, then, you know, it, it can't hurt.
3: So if I decided I wanted to learn Spanish mm-hmm. or... Chinese or something mm-hmm. like what would happen if I tried to go through that with my kids? Is that a horrible idea because I'm going to hold them back or uh,
1: not necessarily? So I would recommend um, if you're proposing that you learn, say, like, Mandarin and you teach it to your kid. Um, there's a little bit of evidence that children can take sort of noisy input, so they can take uh, language input that's not perfect and can sort of figure out the rules of the language even though their input is not perfect. But yeah. by and large. Um, you want, you want them to be learning from a fluent speaker. And right. you also want to be learning from a fluent speaker. There does seem to be a general tendency for kids up to, say, age six and maybe a little older to have a little bit of an advantage at learning a language to native-like proficiency. Um, we don't know how much that has to do with um, brain factors. So their brains are more plastic, so they're more moldable. They can still, um, you know, as adults, we're more set in our ways, both in terms of <laughs> uh, daily habits and in terms of our brains. Uh, but there's also that, the fact that, you know, if I move to France, I'm probably going to have other English speakers around me who I can speak to, whereas um, if I had a five-year-old kid, they would just get stuck in school and would be completely immersed. So some of those factors may affect child-adult differences. But there there does seem to be a general trend uh, sort of leading up to puberty for kids' abilities to, to natively acquire language, too. To decrease.
0: So it's 0 to 13 maybe, 0 to 14. Yeah. Without like, sticking a pin in it. Without a sticking number. a
1: pin in it. And right. then there's also a lot of variability in adults. And that probably has to do with social identification and effort and amount of exposure. And we we really don't know yet.
3: All right. Well, we've filled up this episode again. Thanks everyone for listening. And thanks for joining us in studio. Um, Margarita and Bestin. This has been Parent Savers. For more information about teaching your kids multiple languages, we're going to put links uh, up on our website on the episode page. Um, so check that out at parentsavers.com. We're going to continue the conversation uh, for members of our Parent Savers Club after the show. Um, we're actually going to talk a little more about television. And I think it's something that Margaret talked about a little bit too. You hear that anecdotally a ton of people learning languages in a new place from television. So I've got a question about that. So stick around members of the club for that.
2: Hey, Parent Savers. This is Sunny. I'm one of the producers on the show. I'm sitting here with Bianca Pratt. She's the owner and founder of Simple Nature, which is a company that makes all-natural, organic baby care. So, Bianca, welcome to the show. Hi. (laughs) And I should I should start out the interview by saying we're recording this at the ABC Kids Expo, and poor Bianca has been inundated with so many people are interested in her product. She's been talking about it all day long, and um, her voice, you know, is is starting to fade a little bit. It's more than voting. <laughs> <laughs> but you can still talk about your product yes. and talk about how great it yes. is, and we definitely want to hear about that. So, Bianca, I know it's a new company, so tell us a little bit about why you started the company.
6: Okay, well, I've always been in the beauty industry. It's been my passion. Okay. I, I oddly had a strange obsession with skincare from a very young age, and, you know, my, my family always said, Oh, you're, you're going to do something in the skincare industry. And, you know, they were absolutely correct. I'm a medical esthetician. Okay. I'm a licensed cosmetologist. I'm actually also a laser technician and laser safety officer. So, um, you know, I've, I've, I've done a lot of training. I've worked on many, many people trying to help them with their skin ailments and, you know, really aid them and help them to feel better about themselves and educate. You know so it's really been my passion it really wasn't until oh I'd say a few years ago when I started realizing that some of the well-known products that I was using were actually really irritating my skin and I have sensitive skin myself when I was pregnant now that was the scary thing because um you're told so many things don't use this don't eat that and you know yada 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 right. you know you, you hear so many things and I was beyond terrified, you know, <laughs> first time parent, you know, I just didn't want her to do anything that was going to harm my child, so I went way overboard, you know. Right. What makes your company different, would you say? We are actually really stylish, you know, I felt like, I don't know, some companies were kind of stuck in the 80s. There was changes that needed to be made as far as appeal you know this isn't a company just for babies it's a company for women who are pregnant um you know newborn through adult especially people with skin sensitivities like myself so what are some of the products that you are really proud of oh my goodness
2: (laughs) (laughs) how much time do you have sunny (laughs) oh yes yes
6: well i i will tell you um I did create two product lines, uh, well, fragrance varieties. I have my Fragrance Free. This is for the, the truly, truly sensitive skin types where you just cannot handle any kind of essential oils um, or, you know, certain types of natural extracts. So we have um, our formulas in Fragrance Free minus the essential oils Um, and then of course we have a extremely popular um orange smoothie and i can't tell you enough how popular this stuff is it's a very proprietary blend there are other companies that have um you know orange and tangerine kind of stuff but um ours is very unique And I think you really have to try it to see for yourself. Definitely the orange smoothie. If you like mild fragrances that are uplifting, that smell really fresh and yummy, and make your bath time experience especially for you and your child, you're just gonna love it. You're gonna fall in love. And let me add all lotions they absorb very quickly you don't have to spend forever you know massaging and trying to get the product to sink in right. and it lasts for hours it can it's Literally lost all day.
2: Well, we do encourage all of our listeners to go to SimpleNature.co because they are offering a special discount. If you enter promo code ABC20, you'll get twenty percent off of your order, and that's for a limited time only. So be sure to head on over there and check it out as soon as you can. So Bianca, it was so nice having you on our show, and I appreciate you coming out, even though I know you're losing your voice. You're such a you're such a trooper. Thank
6: you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. I really appreciate
3: that wraps up our show for today we appreciate you guys listening to parent savers don't forget to check out our sister show Preggy pals for expecting parents and our show the boob group for moms who breastfeed their babies as well as our new show twin talks for parents of twins there's a ton of stuff i know that margarita would be interested in i think every about everything we do applies to you as well (laughs) 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 next week we'll be talking about libraries and what a great resource they are for new families and new parents this is parent savers empowering new parents
6: and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider.
7: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?